Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Over the next hour, you'll have the opportunity to listen to Cynthia Hyatt, an internationally recognized therapist and life management expert in private practice with offices in Phoenix and Scottsdale. As a captivating communicator, Cynthia engages, energizes, and inspires her audiences to become all God created them to be. For more information on Cynthia's diverse background, log on to CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. Now, here's Cynthia. Well, thank you for joining me today. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And we are starting the first show in our series on Dating is Hard to Do. So if you missed any of the previous shows, I did the intro last week and the week before that, I had Dr. Bobby Brewer on the air talking about dating in the 21st century. So if you missed either of those, you can always go to my website at CynthiaHyatt.com. And I'm going to spell it for you. It's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T dot com. And you can listen to the show last week that kind of introduced this and explained all of this conundrum that we have about dating in the 21st century. So this first one is we are really addressing foundationally what has to be in a relationship in order for it to survive long term. Because Anyone that gets married is assuming they're going to be with that person for the rest of their life. That's why it's such a big deal to get married because we think, oh my gosh, there are no other chances. There are no other choices. This is the person I'm choosing until I die. And so that's a huge, huge commitment. It's a very worthy and admirable commitment. And it is the one that God has made to us, which is phenomenal that he doesn't just choose to be with us until we die. He chooses to be with us for eternity. It never ends. I mean, that's really something to think about that God chooses to be with me forever. You know, that's a, that's a big thing. I don't know if I would choose to be with me forever, but God is working on that as well. So what we, this is, this is the three loves that have to go into the foundation of a marriage. So love is really what everything is about. We know that understanding how powerful love is. And we have so many biblical references for what love does and what it is made to do. And what God first and foremost tells us is that love never fails. And the hardest part for us as humans is to know how to love and to love well, and to know what love actually is. So it's important that we know that love does not always feel good. See, true love does not always feel good. The world is searching hard for love, marketing it, replacing it, selling it, explaining it, exploiting it, my gosh, misrepresenting it. So what really is this thing called love? And we can only know what true love is when we get to know the one who is love. And where true love emanates from. See, God is love. He didn't create it. He is it. That's, that's an, an amazing thought. He didn't create love. He is love. It emanates from him. And so now because he is all truth, again, he didn't create truth. He is truth. We can find and actually experience true love through him. What a fascinating concept that God is truly loving us. In truth, 
and full love. So the more that we know God, the more we know love and truth, we can then truly love others and ourselves. So the reason it's important to make the distinction of true love and not just love is because we are taught and experience many things that are called love. But as we become healthier, more truth-based people, more mature people, we find out that what we might have originally considered love to be was in fact not. So we often, you know, confuse healthy, corrective, uncomfortable, painful love as abuse. And conversely, what feels so intense and pleasurable, we interpret as true love. And so a lot of understanding what love really is, is understanding these three types of love that we're going to talk about. Because when we are truly loving someone, it's very substantive. It's very heavy in a really good way. It's very solid because it's based in truth, which means it's not just based in emotion. It's not just chemistry. It's a lot more than that. And so it's about intimacy versus, versus intensity. And so many of us have really intense relationships and they feel so substantive. And then they end and we, we all of a sudden go, wow, that's all there was. That's it. When they felt so intense. So we're going to talk about this, uh, this idea that there's a difference between intensity and intimacy. So what does the world say that love is? Well, one author says, depending on context, love can be of different varieties. But at times, the very existence of love is questioned. So some say it's false and meaningless. Says that it never existed. Because there has been many instances of hatred and brutality in relationships. So the history of our world has witnessed many such events. And there's been hatred between brothers and parents and children. Sibling rivalry and spouses have failed each other. Friends have betrayed each other. We see in historically a son has killed his parents for the throne and the count it's endless. So even the modern generation is also facing these dilemmas every day, but it's imperative to understand love is not responsible for that. It is us. It's the people who have forgotten the meaning of love and have undertaken this gruesome apathy. So I really like what that author talks about when he says that love is not responsible for gruesome apathy or violence. So what this tells us that whatever ugly you have seen in the world, love is not responsible for this. We are. This is because we are the people who have forsaken love with gruesome apathy. And that gruesome apathy comes out of our own hurt and woundedness. We just don't want to care anymore. We don't want to love anymore. It hurts too much to love. And so what we find is that the reason that we may have that type of pain is because of unhealthiness. That the pain that we feel when we love well always causes us to grow, to be a a stronger person, one that has more depth, one that has greater ability to extend themselves in true love. But when we're just experiencing the pain of intensity and selfish love, then we fall into gruesome apathy. We just don't want to do it anymore. We just give up. We don't, we don't care. And so I love this song. This is that, that famous song by Foreigner, which I'm probably dating myself, but I love the song. And it's called I Want to Know What Love Is. And there's 571 million posts about that song alone. 
imagine that. And this is what this is what this this he says. This author says, "I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I want to feel what love is. I know you can show me." So he says, "I got to take a little time, a little time to think things over. I better read between the lines in case I need it when I'm older." And it goes on to say, in my life, there's been heartache and pain. I don't know if I can face it again. But I can't stop now. I've traveled so far to change this lonely life. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I want to feel what love is. And I know you can show me. That's really what we should be saying to God. We should really be saying to God, I want to know what love is. And I want you to show me. I want to feel what it is for real, not just the emotionality, not just the intensity. I want to feel what true love really is. And we want to say to God, I know you can show me. So there's this other song. It's called, uh, it's by Nazareth and it's called Love Hurts. And when you hear this singer, I mean, he's just wailing this song as he sings it. And I'm sure that in many ways, maybe God was honored and inspired by his song because I'm sure that that's, exactly what Christ must have been feeling when he came to earth as a baby and left his kingdom, his home and his father. And he experienced and saw the suffering of creation. And then he dies so horribly, gruesomely on the cross. And so these words, it says, love hurts, love scars, love wounds and marks. Any heart not tough or strong enough to take a lot of pain, take a lot of pain. Love is like a cloud. Holds a lot of rain. Love hurts. Wow. Love. And when you think about Jesus, love hurt him, scarred him, wounded him, marked him. And so we need to understand true love, real love will hurt sometimes. But the real true love always produces fruit and growth. Hurt resulting from dysfunction, foolishness, selfishness, and narcissism. It only injures and harms. And that hurt needs that hurt needs time to heal. So when we see in in that sacrifice, then change occurs when we're willing to fearfully face ourselves in order to love well. When we are willing to endure pain that produces gain. See, oftentimes dysfunctional, abusive relationships it only produces that pain in vain. When I, when you've heard me talk about this before, I can either have pain for gain or pain in vain but I can never have no pain. So in relationship with people, I want to choose to have pain for gain. That's the kind of pain that causes me to look at myself, to be willing to take responsibility for myself, to be willing to be a better version of myself, that I'm called into account in in a truly loving manner, which means that the person that I'm in relationship is doing with is doing the exact same thing. Because, see, if I'm only surviving my pain, then there's no, there, there would be no gain in the relationship at all. And, and God would not be continuing to go forward with his people if all he had was hurt that loved him, scarred him, wounded him, and marked him. I mean, why would he go forward with us? So the pain that he endured, that he incurred by being in relationship with us, produces great gain. And that produces a change in us that allows us to be with him in eternity forever. So even if you're in a relationship with a highly dysfunctional, maybe an abusive person, I can still turn the pain for gain versus only surviving the pain. 
and the pain only being in vain. I can allow the pain to strengthen me, deepen me, and cause me to be a more humble person, a person that can love with resiliency and authenticity. And in that, I will then have the courage to leave an abusive relationship, to not take on the shame of that relationship. So I can cause that pain of an abusive relationship to change me, to know when and to recognize abusive people. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And we are going to continue this whole idea about dating is hard to do. Got love? You need three. Welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. This is Cynthia Hyatt. I'm so glad you're joining me today. And I want to always remind you that if you miss any of these shows, you can always go to my website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. And you can listen to any of the shows previously. We are doing um, a dating series here on the show, and it's called Dating is Hard to Do. And we are focusing on the 21st century and how... We are dating in the 21st century, how to get that person, that committed relationship that we are all desiring to have. And so as we're doing that, we are looking at this foundational piece. This show is about the foundation of every relationship that any romantic relationship has to have these three types of love. So we left off in that last segment talking about the difference between pain or gain and pain in vain and abusive dysfunctional relationships only create pain in vain. All I do is end up surviving it. I do, I'm not necessarily a better person for it. Maybe in fact, I'm worse. Maybe I'm more hateful, more distrusting, uh, cynical or bitter or skeptical versus the pain for gain that happens in healthy relationships. And that causes me to be a deeper person, someone that is more substantive, that has greater wisdom, that has greater resiliency, that has greater acceptance, that has known deep forgiveness and is able to be more forgiving. Because what we know is that we can't avoid pain. And we talked about how Jesus incurs pain when he's relating to his people. God incurs pain with his creation. But that pain ends up being for gain. And that all the pain that Christ went through on earth gained being with us for eternity. And so what we want to look at is that we accept that functional, healthy relationships still create pain. They still hurt. They still wound. However, this pain is the difference between growing pains and just being brutalized. So how do I know the difference? Well, is there fruit produced? Are you becoming a stronger person? Are you becoming a more substantive person? Are you becoming more content, contented, more peaceful, more joyous, uh, more resilient? So, you know, I, I love this quote by Shakespeare. It's one of my favorite quotes. And he says, he says, love all, trust few, do wrong to none. I mean, what, a, what a great way to go through life. Love all, trust few, and do wrong to none. So if I am to do this, I must look at relationships and the imminent pain that will be there 
and see the difference between a perfect person and a trustworthy person. See, we know there are no perfect people. We trust God implicitly because he is perfect. However, I do not, let me repeat, I do not trust humans implicitly. If I do, I will be very, very hurt very, very often. See, the difference is trustworthy people make mistakes, but, and but is the operative word, they care about their mistake. They usually feel worse than I do about what they've done. This is a trustworthy person. See, I'm going to make mistakes in my relationships, and I'm going to hurt the people that I love. However, it truly bothers me. It wounds me when I know I've wounded a person I love. So it might keep me awake at night. And as a result, I do everything I can to fix it as quickly as possible and not to do it again. And I make sure that the person knows that I'm working on it, that I will rectify the issue as soon as possible, and that I'm exceedingly thankful for grace and forgiveness while I work it out. If I can't just fix it, if it's not just a one-time thing, if it's part of a process I'm working on, then I'm going to be thankful and humble with that person as they're enduring my growth process. See, this is a truly trustworthy person versus an individual that wounds me, scars me, and marks me and continuously says they're sorry but never changes. That is not a trustworthy person. So the difference between a relationship that creates healthy pain for growth and humility and an abusive relationship that will only elicit the need to survive, which will cause you to be more defensive, more untrusting, more skeptical, more cynical, angry and resentful. So I need to be careful with whom I'm entrusting my heart. It's imperative that I have appropriate expectations on humans. So what do you think love is? I mean, seriously, as you're listening to this show or reading this in a mini book, what, what is love to you? What does love mean to you? What makes sense to you? What does it feel like to you? See, everyone is unique. However, we, of course, all, all fit into many human generalities. So what makes us feel truly loved is very unique to us. This is why people are so amazed when they find that one person that works for them. I mean, there are billions of people on the planet. If it weren't an issue of originality and uniqueness, it would be easy to find someone that works. But instead... It feels like a miracle when you find that one person. No matter how much they try to measure, quantify, analyze how and why people fall in love, there are all these elements that are undefinable. So I really believe it's the element of uniqueness. It's that I am a one-time, originally occurring person. And finding the person where all the dots and points connect is truly not easy. In fact, it's a miracle. This is why God is so amazing, because he can be all things to all people. He is so substantive, so everything, so our all in all, that he works for everyone in relationship. He gets that part of you that no one else gets. It's because he made you for him. He knows you, and he really likes you. See, the most amazing feeling for people is to be loved and liked. It doesn't get any better than that. See, God does both with all of us, which is amazing in and of itself, considering the fact that he knows us completely. It's tremendously healing and affirming and encouraging all at the same time. So this is what the Bible says, that the 
the word love appears in the Bible. So using 17 different versions and including the words loves, loved, etc., the average is 588.7 times. Now, that doesn't include loving in the New Testament or loving kindness in the Old Testament, which could add like 100 to the average. Or it's usually quoted that there's 319 love is quoted 319 times in the old Testament and 232 times in the new Testament. I mean, truly it it does depend on the translation and Greek or Hebrew, which one is using and Greek and Hebrew doesn't take into account how much love is talked about. Now, in contrast, if you Google the word love, you will see 1.4 billion to just that one word. I mean, that's phenomenal. So let's look at what a great, just primary, preliminary definition of love is. It is a heartfelt affection of a Christian in response to the love God has shown toward us, especially in the gift of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Love is an affection which prompts the Christian to action. Love is first and foremost directed toward God and then toward others in order of priority. God, family, especially mate, fellow believers, neighbor, even our enemy. See, love subordinates the interests of the lover to the one who is loved. Love inspires our deliberate, diligent, self-sacrificial service to others, which is intended for their good at our expense. So our love as Christians is a response to God's love and a reflection of his love. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk about dating is hard to do. I hear the whispers in my well, welcome back. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And we are talking about dating. Dating is hard to do. And we're talking about dating in the 21st century. This is the first show in our six-week series on dating. So if you missed any of them, make sure that you um, visit my website at CynthiaHyatt.com, C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com, and they are all there on the website to be heard. You can also go to um, 1360 KPXQ Face Talk, and they will also guide you to my website as a way to find those shows. So we ended that last segment talking about a preliminary definition based on the teaching of scriptures of what love is and that it's this heartfelt affection of Christians in response to the love of God that he has shown us, especially in the gift of salvation and that it's an affection which prompts the Christian to action that it's first and foremost directed toward God and then toward others in, in order of priority which means we have God, family, which would be especially our mate, if we, ha- if we were married, fellow believers, our neighbor, even our enemy. That love subordinates the interests of the lover to the one who is loved. And love inspires our deliberate, diligent, self-sacrificial service to others. It is intended for their good, many times at our expense. And always remember that we're not talking about a codependent type of love. We are talking about giving out of the abundance and loving out of the abundance so that in my emotional bank account, I'm not going into overdraft every time I try to love somebody because that's not God's way. God doesn't go into bankruptcy by sending Jesus to die for us. 
So it's important that we look at, I, I love the way that this particular author says, he says, our love as Christians is to be both a response to God's love and a reflection of his love. See, if we're experiencing the love of God, we can't but help love others. It's a response to God's love. It's what God's love does in us. And then it reflects, the way that we love reflects his love. So we see in Romans 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is important here as we look at dating in the 21st century. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So it's imperative, as I'm looking at this issue of dating, that I don't be conformed to the pattern of the way the world is doing it. And I'm going to tell you the pattern for the world these days is... We go on dates. By the third date, I sleep with you, and that means I'm sexually responsible. Within about three months, if we last that, we move in together. And we tell all of our friends and family, hey, we've made that next step. Now we're living together. And then maybe a year later, six months later, we get pregnant. We tell everybody, oh, it's so exciting. We're getting we're pregnant. We're going to have a baby. And then maybe we decide after that, do we want to get married? Hmm. And now see, this is backwards, it's upside down. And this is not being said in any kind of condemnation to anybody because I work with couples that are in this process all the time. Because what you want to think about is the Proverbs fourteen twelve. It says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. So I'm telling you, this way seems so logical to us. It can seem logical to me that I would first try everything before I actually commit to it. But what we have to do is trust God's way. And God is saying, that's not my way, and it does not work. Because hear me when I say this. If God did that logic of man, he would never be with any of us. If he was going to test us out before he committed to us, he wouldn't be with any of us. So it's imperative that we understand that we are trusting God and God's ways. That we are really understanding what love in action is. And love in action, down in verse 9 of that Romans 12, it says, love must be sincere must hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. And all of us in this whole dating world, we see the amount of revenge and vindictiveness that people are practicing. And all it does is produce death. It doesn't produce anything healthy for any of us. And it doesn't help us get over the hurt of what has been done to us. If it did... God would encourage it, and he would help it. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in this last segment as we actually tear apart and untangle what these three loves are.
Welcome back. This is Conversations with Cynthia, and I am Cynthia Hyatt. I am so glad you're joining me today as we are doing this six-week series on dating. Dating is hard to do, and this is dating in the 21st century. And this first show is Foundational Love. And so we spent the whole first part of this show talking about love and what love means, what love is like, the difference between dysfunctional and healthy love, what produces love, and how to know if the love we're in is healthy. So now we are going to talk about these three specific types of love that need to be a part of your romantic relationship. And it's imperative that you have all three. And this is, this is uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4.12. This is the New International Version. It says, The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So what you see is the first one, it says, the, this, this is an analogy that I'm going to give you. We have three types of love. We have agape, eros, phileo. Agape love is that all-encompassing love that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He's not friends with everyone, but he gave his son to everybody. That's, that's agape love. That's sacrificial. I love you even if I don't know you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to do whatever I can. I'm not going to harm you. Then we have phileo love. And phileo love is friendship. It's kinship. It's companionship. Sometimes we have it in our family. Sometimes we don't. These are the people that we click with. So you see in this verse, in in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12, it says, the one may be overpowered. This is if I'm only operating out of agape love, I may be overpowered. I don't know if I have what's in me, like Jesus, like God, to just love purely with nothing else, nothing in response. But it says the one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. So when I have agape and phileo, that is a very strong love. That's the love that David and Jonathan had. That's the love that we have with Jesus as our friend. We can defend ourselves. That is a safe relationship. That helps me endure life. But then it goes on to say a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And in some version it says is not easily snapped. So what we see is that eros is that third one. And eros is is Greek for erotic. It's the passion. It's chemistry. It's being in love. And so what we find is that we need to have these three in order for that relationship to not be broken. So what we find with individuals is that they're either doing agape, so they're doing all the mission services, right? Self-sacrificing, or they just are being friends, or they're marrying their friends, hoping that that's enough for a marriage to happen. Or we have people that only have chemistry. So they don't have any self-sacrificial love. They're, they're selfish people. They're in it only to feel good. They just like the the romance, the passion part of it. They're not even really friends. They don't even necessarily like the person or how they live their life. And they think that that relationship can withstand the hardship of the world. So what we find is that in order to have a love that is romantic, that lasts the hardship, it has to have agape love and it has to have phileo love. And so I love this verse. It's 127, um, verse 1. And it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. So the Lord is building this house of your relationship. It has to start with agape love. 
that you just care for the person because God cares for them, because they're human. You just want good things for them, even if it may not be what's good for you. So maybe, you know, you find you go on a couple of dates with them and, and you really, really like them and, and they're saying, you know, you're just not right for me. It's not going to work. Well, agape love says, well, then peace be with you. I'm going to live at peace with you and I want, I want the best for you. I want to be that mature person that says, you know what? You belong to God. Even if you're not a believer per se, you belong to God. I want what God wants for you. I want the best thing for you. So if it's not me, I can trust God that God wants good things for me. That's agape love. So that's the first foundational piece that has to go into that relationship. Now this Greek word agape is often translated as that word love in the new Testament. So, how again is this different than other types of love? Well, the essence of agape love is always self-sacrifice. So what, you, what we're seeing here is if I only have agape love in my marriage, I'm going to be brutalized. It's not going to last. It's not going to work. I'm not God. I'm not Jesus. So the essence of agape love, again, is self-sacrifice. It's not, has, it's not used in the Bible at all to refer to anything romantic or sexual. And it does not refer to close friendship or brotherly love. That's, in, that's the Greek word phileia, and that's used for friendship and brotherly love. Nor does agape necessarily mean charity. Agape is unique, and it's distinguished by its nature and character. It's the love which is of God and from God, whose very nature is love itself. Like we talked earlier in the message today, that God is love. He didn't create it. He is it. So everything that God does flows from his love. And it's important to remember that God's love is not sappy, sentimental love, such as we often hear it portrayed. It's love because he is, it's his nature and the expression of his being. So he loves the unlovable and the unlovely. That would be us. Not because we deserve to be loved, but because it's in his nature to do so. And he must be true to his nature and character. So you can see how important this is. If I'm going to have an enduring marriage of you know, 10, 20, 30, 50, 60 years, I better have a lot of agape love so that I can love that person when they are unlovable and when they do not deserve love, that I just love them anyways. And this is the love that God displayed on the cross, that when we were dead in trespasses of sins, he still died for us unworthy creatures. And so the object of agape love never does anything to merit that love. See, we are undeserving recipients upon which God lavished his love. His love was demonstrated when he sent his son to seek and save that which was lost and to provide eternal life. And he paid the ultimate sacrifice. So we are to love others sacrificially. It's the same um, idea of the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. That he did it out of sacrifice. Even if he didn't like that person, he loved that person. So it's not based on a feeling. It's not an act of the will. It's putting the welfare of somebody else above your own. And this love does not come naturally to us as humans. We get this from God. So when we are practicing agape love, we are, we are showing people that we are truly his child. When we are in relationship with family members, with, with people that have harmed us, with spouses, we are practicing agape love is a self-sacrificing love. Now, this does not mean that we are going to be friends with everyone we practice agape love with. But it does mean 
that I have to have agape love for my spouse in order for it to endure the hardship of the growth process of each of us in that relationship. So if we move from that one, that's a foundational piece. That When you are in relationship, when you are dating somebody, it has to start with agape love, that you really just want the best for them, their welfare. So if it's not you, then you want them to have the mate they need, that you're able to be unselfish enough to wish them the best. If you can't do that, you need to be saying to God, I may not be ready to be in relationship. I may be more childlike in the way I address relationships because it's going to be about me. So I need to be talking to God about help me with that agape love that I really want the people that I am introduced to to really have the best for them. And if it's not me, I want the best for them. So then we move to the second part, and this is phileo love. The second Greek word, and that's phileo, it forms parts of the word philosophy, which is love of wisdom, and philanthropy, which is love of fellow men. So this word speaks more of the warm affection shared between family and friends. Now, I know that sometimes we don't have that warm affection with our family. Sometimes we do, and if we do, that's wonderful. But this is warm affection. Whereas when we talk about eros, that's more closely, uh, closely associated with libido. Okay, so phileo can be more associated with our emotions or our heart, metaphorically speaking. So we feel love for our friends and our family. Obviously not in an eros sense, not in an erotic, passionate, sexual sense. But a love that motivates us to want to treat them kindly and help them succeed. So phileo love is not felt between people who are at enmity with one another. See, we can feel phileo love toward friends and family, but not toward people whom we dislike or hate. This is why the the verse when God is talking about, you know, even even the sinners, even the, the most uh, despised and hateful people will give good things to their children. That's phileo love. But it doesn't mean they're going to do it for someone they don't love. That's agape love. So it's wonderful when I have phileo love for my spouse. They're my friend. They're my partner. I like them. I want to do everything I can to help them. It's, I have all this emotion that is driving me, and I feel so fondly toward them and committed to them, and I want the best for them because I love them in that way. But what happens when I'm not getting my need met? What happens when I find out that they've made a really big mistake? They've made a really bad choice. And maybe it's one that could destroy our entire marriage. Is God going to ask me to practice agape love? I better have it to be able to practice it. So it's easy to love people we like. It's easy to want the best for people that, that we're involved with and that we believe in and that we are proud of. That's not always the case when someone's unlovable or unlovely. So phileo love is really, really important for a long-term relationship because that's part of what makes it so fun. It's part of what gives you the energy to face life. It's part of what gives you the energy to face yourself. If I'm best friends with my husband, it gives me the energy to like laugh at myself and it gives me the ability to look at the things I need to change and have the resiliency and the, and the motivation to continue to change and work on those things. That's what phileo love does in my marriage. That we just enjoy each other. We like to hang out together. We want good things for one another. And we give each other strength to face what God is doing in our lives individually. So phileo love is imperative to actually enjoy your marriage. But it is not the thing that is going to then endure hardship. 
This last one we have, this is Eros love. And unlike English, in which the word love means many different things, the Greek uses those three words to describe a range of meaning that that word love conveys. So, so we did agape, that conveys one type of love. We did phileo, that, con- that connotates a different type of love. Eros is the word used to express sexual love or feelings of arousal that are shared between people who are physically attracted to each other. This has to be a part of a marriage or it won't last. See, the, the phileo love gives me the commitment to enjoy and endure and help that person along. Agape love helps me to forgive and want the best for them even when they have really messed up and I don't like them at all. Eros love causes me to have that chemistry that I'm able to overlook so many other things that people are like, man, that guy would drive me crazy. How does she do it with him? Chemistry is just chemistry. It it just overlooks a multitude of sins. Think of how much chemistry God has with his people. Angels and demons don't get it. So chemistry, Eros love is imperative to keep the other two loves as well happening. So for a marriage, it can't be just based on self-sacrificing and friendship. That's not a marriage. A marriage has to have one and two and chemistry in order to survive. If you just have chemistry, you'll never make it. It's kind of like having a roof and no house. So you've got a wonderful roof. You've got eros love, erotic love, passion, but you have nothing to live in. So I'm hoping this has been helpful. I want you to be thinking about these three loves when you are interacting with the different people in your life, when you are understanding maybe past relationships, when you are thinking about, wow, I have so much attraction to that person, but I don't like any of the value system they practice, so I can't be friends with them. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me today. I pray that you have a great week. And again, visit my website if you missed any of this show. And again, we will be here next week. Been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. We'd like to remind listeners that this show isn't a replacement for professional counseling or therapy. The messages and teachings shared during this show are given as a way to teach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate or spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear a replay at any time at FaithTalk1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for Conversations with Cynthia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ.